0: Welcome to New Life with Adam Camp. This podcast is a ministry of Rosemont Baptist Church in LaGrange, Georgia. Please visit us on the web at rosemontchurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. Let me pray before we begin. Father, we thank you for an opportunity to worship and an opportunity to praise your name. And we thank you for an opportunity to study your word now. Be with us as we look at the truths of scripture. Speak to us in mighty and powerful ways. May we leave here transformed more into the image of your son, Jesus Christ. It's in his precious and powerful name that we pray, amen. 1700s were a time of great struggle for the American colonies. The United States was not yet a country, it was a colony of the British Empire, and the British had imposed taxes and laws that had angered the colonists here in America, caused riots and unrest and so the British had sent troops to try to calm everything down but the conflict reached a boiling point and on April the 19th 1775 fighting erupted in Lexington and Concord and the American Revolution began now the Continental Congress the elected officials at the time period were meeting and had been mulling over and discussing the idea of independence and they'd inched their way toward it debating and thinking about the possibility and they drafted a proposal. And on July the 4th, 1776, in Independence Hall in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, the Declaration of Independence was signed. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal. They are endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. One of the most important documents ever written, but here's what so many people don't understand. The colonists were in open rebellion to the British. They were at war. Had the colonists not won the American Revolution, the men that signed the Declaration of Independence would have been signing their death warrant. They would have been arrested, tried, and eventually hanged. And yet they signed anyway. With a future uncertain and no idea how it would turn out, they forged their name in history. And having no real idea if they would live or die, they bravely walked into the unknown. Now for so many of us, our spiritual journey feels like walking into the unknown. We desire to know God more. We desire to deepen our walk. We desire to deepen our faith. We desire to deepen our understanding. But for whatever reason, this path to spiritual growth and renewal for us, for so many people, seems out of reach. But I believe and have argued for the last few weeks and will continue to argue through the summer that there is a clear path. There is a clear path to knowing God's will. There is a clear path to seeking Christ in our lives. There is a clear path to understanding what He's called us to do, to be the men and women of God that He's called us to be. And so we've started a sermon series. This is week four in the series that we're calling Into the Unknown. It's a picture of a walk to understand Christ and to know Christ more and to deepen our faith in Him. And so each week we've talked about unlocking a new door. We've talked about unlocking a new door and walking through that door and deepening our walk with Christ. So a few weeks ago we talked about the importance of prayer and especially confession and repentance within prayer. The second week we talked about the importance of biblical meditation and spending time in the Word of God and meditating on the Word of God. Last week we talked about the idea of fasting And we talked about how important fasting could be and how important fasting is to grow in our walk and our faith with Christ. And I hope that you had an opportunity last week to fast. I hope you either bought some Ezekiel bread and spent some time with your family fasting or maybe fasted on your own. We had the opportunity with our family to buy a couple of loaves of Ezekiel bread and Amy and I fasted. And then for one of the dinners, one of the meals at night for our children, we ate only bread and water. Now, eating only bread and water with a young family is an interesting time because they don't quite understand, but it gave us an incredible opportunity to thank the Lord for His goodness and for our kids to understand in ways they don't usually understand that usually the things we have are a blessing. And not everybody in the world gets to eat the way that we eat, and so we sat around a table and kind of looked at each other and ate bread. (laughs) Kind of to contrast that, later in the week my family had the opportunity to go and pick some fruit out of a garden of one of the families here at our church. They'd invited us to come and they had a lot of things to harvest. and They were picking potatoes, and you may or may not know this, but potatoes grow in the ground. And this is how different it is for my kids and how separated they are from the idea of where their food comes from. My little four-year-old boy Jonas came home and he was so excited they'd been picking potatoes. And he said, Dad, we, we've been picking these potatoes and we got a whole sack full. There's only one problem with the potatoes. they got dirt all over them. <laughs> he didn't understand that potatoes grew in the ground. And we had this opportunity to explain to him that the Lord has blessed us, son. And he's given us things that a lot of people don't have. And I pray you were able to take that opportunity with your family. I pray that you were able to spend some time with them thinking and praying. We've provided for you every week a summer prayer guide and you can spend time studying and and praying with your family and kind of living out each week the things that we talk about on Sunday morning but I'm excited because of all the things the Lord is doing I'm excited about all the things the Lord has already done this summer and all the camps that our kids have been to and the mission work we've already seen we just finished up last week at Camp Viola and you may or may not know about Camp Viola but Camp Viola is a camp where we every year for one week intentionally try to reach out to very underprivileged kids and when I say underprivileged kids, I mean very underprivileged kids. Kids that come from very, very difficult home lives. Some of these home lives are so bad that at the end of the week, literally, their parents will not come and pick them up. We had that this week. We had to take some of those little boys and girls home. We, we, we loved on those kids. We fed them in ways they've probably never been fed. We taught them about Jesus Christ. We just had an incredible week with them. At the same time, our team to Zambia was returning. They came back Thursday night. We just, You already heard some of the stories, and you're going to hear a lot more. We have a team leaving for Romania this Wednesday. We commissioned them, as you saw at the beginning of the service. But God's just doing some neat things. He's just really working in the hearts of our people and in the the heart of our church. And so we're going to kind of continue to push that forward. And so we're planning something. I want you to be aware of this and be praying about it. For the first time ever, at the end of August, we've planned a mission conference. It's going to be August the 23rd, 24th, and 25th. That's a Friday night, all day Saturday, and then Sunday morning. We're going to have guest speakers come in and, and... Preach and talk and teach them classes on Saturday afternoon, and we're going to continue to encourage and challenge our people. But at that conference, we're going to lay out for you the plan for the next year. We're going to lay out for you all the trips we're going to be taking, the dates of those trips, the calls for those trips, and so you can be praying about that and thinking about that and seeing how the Lord may lead you. And then on that Sunday morning, the 25th of August, we're going to do what we did last year. We're going to take up a one time mission offering. Now, last year, if you guys weren't part of our church or haven't heard, we raised $270,000 last summer for missions in one Sunday. Now, I don't know if the Lord's going to do that again this year or not. I hope He does. But I know whatever He does, He's going to bless. And we've been able to use that money that we didn't even, we never fathomed we would have that kind of money to do things we never thought we could do for His honor and for His glory. So you'd be praying about your place of service and missions. You'd be praying about that missions offering, about all the Lord would lead you to do and To be a part of that missions conference at the end of August. And you just be in prayer that God would continue to work in our church and continue to stir the hearts of our people. So now, having said all that, let's take our Bibles, open up to John chapter 13 this morning. As we're in week 4 of our series, Into the Unknown. John chapter 13. Our study this morning is going to be a picture of Christ's love and His service. Now, as you're flipping to John chapter 13, let me give you a little bit of background of where we are in the ministry of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ has been on this earth for approximately 33 years. For the last three years of his life, he's been ministering. And at this point, he's recognized that his time is drawing to an end. He's traveled to Jerusalem for the last time. He's been spending time in the city the last week with those he loved, with his disciples, and teaching people. And when we read in John chapter 13 this morning, it's going to take place on the last night of his life. He will very soon be arrested, tried, and crucified. And it's very, very important for us to understand this passage of Scripture. And it's very, very important for us to study it and to apply it to our lives because it's one of the last things that Jesus Christ is going to do. And we understand from our own experience that in the very end of life, in those last few moments, those times are precious to us, aren't they? And we cherish the memories we have with those loved ones when we last saw them, and we got to speak to them. And we're going to see Christ with his disciples for the last time, an opportunity to teach them and to love them and to show them a picture of service based on who he was. So John chapter 13, beginning in verse 1, we'll read together this morning. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. And having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Now we're going to stop at that one verse because that that verse right there is really chock full of stuff. In fact, the whole 13th chapter of the book of John is a, a little bit of a struggle for me because there's so many things in here we could draw at. There's so many things we could say. There's so many teaching points. But I want to focus this morning on Christ's service And I want to focus this morning on his love for his disciples. And so here's the first point I want to make. And I want to delve more into this first verse of John chapter 13. But here's the first point this morning. As we understand Christ and as we understand our walk, as we try to deepen our walk with Christ, here's the thing we see. Christ modeled love through service. Christ modeled love through service. Now John chapter 13 is a very clear picture of Christ's service to his disciples. It's a picture of him washing their feet. It's a picture of him loving them, of sacrificing for them, of giving to them. And Jesus, for the first time in his ministry, something interesting has happened. Now, if you were to spend any time reading through the Gospel of John, you would see that on several different occasions, Christ would say to people, My time is not yet come. That's a phrase he's used on several occasions. And so they would come to him and say, we need you to do this, or we want to do this, or we want to make you king, or we want to promote you to this position. And he would say, my time has not yet come. Maybe the best example is found in John chapter 2. Before Jesus began his ministry, you may remember the story of the wedding at Canaan. John chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, says, On the third day a wedding took place at Canaan in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Now here's the assumption of Jesus' mother. You can do something amazing. You can fix this. You can demonstrate your glory. And then Jesus says something very interesting in John chapter 2, verse 4. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, "My Here's the phrase, My hour has not yet come. You see that? We see this phrase over and over in the Gospel of John. It's, it's a phrase that John uses to demonstrate to us that Christ still has more work to be done. He's got more things he's got to accomplish. He's got more people he's got to see. He's got more places he's got to go. There there, there are more things that Jesus has to do until John chapter 13. In John chapter 13 verse 1, everything changes because here's what Christ says. Here's what the Bible says. John chapter 13 verse 1, it was just before the Passover feast, and Jesus, watch this, knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world. See that? Jesus, for the first time in his ministry, recognizes that it's now time. I've ministered, I've walked around, I've healed people, I've, I've caused people that couldn't walk to be able to walk, people that couldn't see to be able to see. And it's time now for me to walk to Jerusalem and walk to the cross. But before I die, disciples, before I give my life on the cross, there's something I want you to know. And he ends in verse 1 with this phrase, Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them until the end. What a foundational verse to understand who Christ was. What a foundational verse for us to build upon in our study of his service and in his study of the washing of the disciples' feet. Because here's what we need to understand. This idea of love and this idea of loving until the end frames in what Christ is going to do when he washes the disciples' feet. It frames in what he's going to do when he's arrested, when he's crucified, and eventually when he's buried and raised on the third day. It's a, it's a picture of what He's going to accomplish for His people. It's a picture of His love and His sacrifice, that He loved them until the end. Now here's the neat thing about Jesus, as you study the things that He said, and you study the things that He did. I'm reminded of Matthew chapter 22 when they came to Jesus and they said to Jesus, Jesus, tell us the greatest commandment. And Jesus replied in verse 37 of Matthew 22, to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. And the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. And every time I read that passage of Scripture, I wonder to myself, how should I love my neighbor better? How should I give more? How should I serve more? How should I demonstrate my... Trust in Christ by loving others. But as I read that passage of Scripture in light of John chapter 13 verse 1, I'm reminded of the fact that Jesus didn't just tell people they needed to love their neighbor. He himself loved his neighbor. He didn't just tell people they needed to serve. He himself served. He didn't just tell people they needed to give. He himself gave. And that passage in John chapter 13 verse 1 sums it up. Having loved his own who are in the world, he loved them until the end. He didn't give up. He didn't say, I've had enough, I'm I'm, I'm weary and I'm tired and I'm ready to stop. He loved them so much that he was willing to love them till his dying breath. You understand that? So here's our application. As we see that Christ loved others in service, we ourselves need to love others in service. If Jesus did it, we need to do it. If he was our model, then we need to live our lives in such a way that bring him honor and glory by the way we treat other people, by the way we love other people, by the way that we serve other people. You know, when I read about this idea in in, in Christ in in John 13, it's really just a picture of a faithful servant on a lot of levels. And I think about his faithful service and his desire to do the will of the Father above all things and his desire to, to serve and to love. I can't help but think about some of the people at this church You know, sometimes we think, well, where's an example of someone that's loved like that? Well, I look around this church and I see people all the time that love. I see people all the time that serve. And I think about the the people that have spent some of them literally decades at this church giving sacrificially. You know, God is doing amazing things in our church right now. And he's taken us to a place, I believe, that we've never been. And a place that we don't even yet know as he continues to move us along. But here's the point. We stand on the shoulders of those who've gone before us, right? We're able to accomplish today what we're accomplishing because people for the last 40 years have been faithful. They've been servants. They desire to do the will of the Lord. Aren't you thankful they didn't stop? You know, I can assure you at some point over the last 40 years, somebody wanted to stop, somebody wanted to give in, somebody wanted to quit, but they were faithful to their service of the Lord. And because of their faithfulness, God has honored them, God has blessed them, God has blessed our church. But here's the problem with so many people today. It's a lot easier for us to talk about service than to actually serve, right? And so here's what we do. We say, you know, I I know it's important and I know it's needed and I, I, I realize now that it's even taught in Scripture and modeled in Scripture, but I'll be very honest with you, Adam, I just don't like to serve. <laughs> I'd rather just come and listen and go home and never really do anything. That's just, that's just kind of how I roll, right? I, just, I don't really want to spend any time service. Well, I want to challenge you with something here. If you're not finding any areas to serve, you need to spend a lot of time in prayer and ask the Lord what's wrong with your heart because you ought to be serving. It's a picture of who Christ is, it's commanded of us in Scripture. He's our model, and we ought to be doing it. You say, well, it's, it's hard work, though. It's, it's not easy. Well, I want to read for you an account of a missionary in Africa who was asked a very interesting question. That This missionary served in a very difficult place in Africa, very harsh conditions, and he was asked, do you really like the work you're doing? And I'll quote. His response was shocking. Do I like this work, he said? No. My wife and I don't like dirt. We have reasonably refined sensibilities. We do not like crawling into the vile huts through goat refuse. But is a man to do nothing for Christ, he does not like. Pity him if not. Liking or disliking has nothing to do with it. We have orders to go and so we go. Love constrains us. See, Christ loved until the end, and he loved through service, and so should we. Now, verse 2. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. And Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power. And he'd come from God and was returning to God, so he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around his waist, and after that he poured water into a basin... And he began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. Here's the second point I want to make. Not only did Christ demonstrate love through service, number two, Christ modeled humility in service. Christ modeled humility in service. let's, Let's paint a picture here of exactly who Jesus was. Jesus Christ was fully God. He'd come to the earth and for the last three years he had done unbelievable things. Things so unbelievable that thousands of people would follow him just to see what he was going to do next. Healed the blind, raised the dead, caused the lame to walk, fed thousands of people, walked on water. I mean, Jesus did incredible things. He had incredible power, and we get a picture of this in verse 3. Not only did Jesus have this power, but he understood it. Listen to what verse 3 says again. Jesus knew, that's important, he understood That the Father had put all things under his power. You see that? Now let's just make sure we understand. Here's the creator of the universe, right? Here's the man who could command the seas and the ocean to be still and the winds and the waves to die down and they would. Here's a man who could defeat death with his words. Here's a man who can create food out of just a few loaves of bread and a couple of fish for thousands of people. Here's a man who is all powerful. Not only does he have all this power, but he knows that he has all this power. And we would expect him in earthly standards to do something amazing here. To use his power to fix all this mess, or to use his power to get out of this situation he's found himself in, or to do this miraculous thing in front of these disciples. But he does something extraordinary. He does something unbelievable. He does something unthinkable. The creator of the universe, now just watch this the man who held life and salvation in his hands, gets up from this meal. And the Bible says that he takes off his outer clothing he wraps a towel around his waist. By the way, which would have looked, it would have made him look just like a servant. He would have modeled himself as a servant. He pours water into a basin. He begins to wash the disciples' feet. And after he's finished, he dries them with the towel that's wrapped around him. It's hard for us to understand how humiliating that would have been for him. It's hard for us to fathom the, 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 the humbleness and the lowliness of that act. It's the lowliest, most humble thing he could have done, period. There's nothing else worse. D.A. Carson, who's a very well-known theologian, describes it like this. He says, this was a task normally reserved for the lowliest of menial servants. Peers did not wash one another's feet. Some Jews insisted that Jewish slaves should not even be required to wash the feet of others. This job instead should be reserved for Gentile slaves. You see, we, we can't understand it in our society and in our context, but Jesus picked the lowliest thing he could possibly do. He picked the humblest thing he could possibly do, and he served his disciples in the process. So here's the question, let's ask ourselves this, and let's be real honest with each other. When's the last time we were humiliated in service to someone else? When's the last time we picked the worst possible thing to do, the the lowliest, dirtiest, grossest possible thing we could possibly pick? And when was the last time we served others in the name of Christ to model His love for them? See, many of us serve, and we serve in ways sometimes that that other people can see, or we serve in ways that we think are going to gain something for us. We serve with all types of other motives but Christ paints this picture for us of service based on love and based on humility. See so here's the point of the Christian walk that so many people don't get. Christianity is not passive, it's active. Christ never designed us to be saved and just kind of ride off into the sunset of heaven. That's not what. Salvation for us is the beginning of the process. It's not the end. Christ shows us this picture of love and he shows us this picture of humility. And he says to his disciples, if I'm willing to serve and humiliate myself, you should be willing to serve and humiliate yourself. You should be willing to find areas of service that demonstrate your love for other people. Now we need to move on because we're running very low on time. Verses 6-10, through a very interesting conversation with Peter. Peter gets how humble this is and how humiliating this is because Peter basically says, Lord, you're not going to wash my feet. I'm not going to ask you to do that. I I can't allow you to wash my feet. And Jesus convinces him that he has to allow him to do it. And now verse 12, as we pick up this morning, as we try to finish up. When he would finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you, he asked them. And by the way, they didn't understand it. They rarely did, and neither do we. You call me teacher and Lord. And by the way, those are, those are titles of position. Those are titles that demand respect. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightfully so. So Christ says, I am those people, for that's what I am. Verse 14, now I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet. You also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly I say to you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a master greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Here's the third point. We must model Christ through our service. We see a picture of love, we see a picture of humility, and we see very clearly that if Christ is going to love others, Christ is going to humble himself through service, then so should we. Christ needs to be our model as we serve other people. One of the best ways as we think about walking into the unknown, one of the best ways you can grow in your walk with Christ is to serve other people. One of the best ways you can practice loving other people is by serving. One of the best ways you can grow in humility is by serving. You say, "Well, this is, this is great. So I, Christ served. He said I should serve. He said that he's the example and we should model our lives after him. He served in love, he served in humility, so I get that. But here's my problem, Adam. I'm not really sure where I should serve. Where are some areas that I can serve? Because, you know, frankly, I'm busy all week, you know, and I, I get home late. And Where am I going to serve? Well, I'm going to give you one very clear principle, one simple principle, that if you apply it to your life, will help you serve in all sorts of areas. Here's a very simple principle right out of the Scripture. If you'll put other people first opportunities of service will just open up before your very eyes. Because you begin to see their needs as more important than your own needs. You begin to see what will help them as more important than what will help you. And you begin to see areas at work with your boss or at home with your wife or husband or at school or with your neighbors or or at church. And There's so many areas to serve. When you put other people ahead of yourself, guess what happens? Service becomes very clear all of a sudden to you. Because you're not so worried about what you need to do, you're so worried about what you can do to help those people. I want to read a quote for you this morning from Donald Whitney. It's in a book he wrote called Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life. It's an incredibly challenging quote, and I'll be very honest with you. When I read it, it challenged me, and I don't have a good answer for it. Here's what he says. Can you serve your boss and others at work, helping them to succeed and be happy, even when they are promoted and you're overlooked? Can you work to make others look good without envy filling your heart? Can you minister to the need of those whom God exalts and men honor when you yourself are neglected? Can you pray for the ministry of others to prosper when it would cast yours into the shadows? That's a challenging thought, isn't it? Aren't you glad Christ could answer yes to all those? Aren't you glad Christ was willing to give and to suffer and to love and to die for our sins? And now, verse 17, and I'm going to finish with this. I love how this passage ends in John chapter 13, verse 17. The Bible says this, Now that you know these things, in other words, now that you're clear on what's going on here, now that you've seen a picture of love, you've seen a picture of humility, you've seen Christ model this idea of service, now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. You know, one of the things I didn't expect in this sermon series that's been very interesting to me is that every time we study one of these spiritual disciplines, every time we study one of these doors that deepen our walk with Christ, there's always some reference to how the Lord's going to bless us when we do it. We saw it with prayer in the first week. We saw it in Psalm chapter 1. The second week, when we meditate on His Word, we're going to be like a a tree that's strong, whose leaves don't wither, and who produces fruit. Last week, the Bible tells us that when we fast, the, the Bible actually uses the word, the phrase, the Lord will reward us. And now in verse 17 of John chapter 13, when we serve, now that we understand that, and when we do these things, if we understand service and we do these things, we will be blessed if we do them. It's just amazing. There's this clear path that is unknown to so many people. And God says, time after time after time, if you'll do these things, if you'll seek me where I may be found... If you'll struggle to know me, if you'll pray, if you'll meditate, if you'll fast, if you'll serve, if you'll do those things, you will be blessed and you will find me because there is a path to spiritual depth. There is a journey that leads us deeper into faith with Christ. And so my prayer is that this summer through this sermon series and through God's grace, He will allow us to complete that journey into the unknown to experience Christ in ways we've never experienced Him before for His honor. And for His glory. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word again. For the truth of Your Word, Father. We thank You for the challenge that Christ left for us in John chapter 13. The challenge of service, Lord, and love and humility, Father. And the challenge to take Him, Lord, as our model and love others. And so, Lord, I just pray You would convict us. You would just... Give us a clear picture of what service ought to look like in our lives. Father, help us to remember the principle of putting other people first. And when we do that service, opportunities become very obvious for us. And then, Lord, I pray as we begin to do that, you would just bless us and you would grow us in our faith and our walk with you so we can experience you in deeper and more profound ways for your honor and for your glory. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining today's sermon. We would love to hear how today's message blessed you.